National Fishermen and Pacific Marine Expo are proud supporters of the Galley Stories podcast, as we make similar efforts to highlight the people and topics that define commercial fishing. You can see what that looks like in print and online all year long, as well as every November in Seattle when this community comes together at PME. Check out nationalfishermen.com and pacificmarineexpo.com to learn more. Hey guys, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to thank National Fisherman Magazine and the Pacific Marine Expo for uh, the partnership that we've been enjoying and appreciation for the uh, invitation and the booth to attend this event this year. Additionally, I got a lot of questions during the first day of Expo this year about how to support Galley Stories as we do not have sponsorships. The answer to that would be patreon.com forward slash Galley Stories. I'll put a link to it on uh, this episode. With that being said, uh, I would like to thank previous supporters that have really helped us get to where we are. Aldo Castillo, Daniel Hart, the late great Daniel Hart, Shyler Moe, Derek Hart, Emily, AKA Lady, and Jesse Honor. And a special thanks to Garrett Riley from Spittin' Llama, as he's done all of my signage since we began this process and journey with Galley Stories. So again, uh, thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us, uh, please become a Patreon. And with that, thanks for your generosity. And thanks for listening. And here we go. Hello, and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello, guys, and welcome to another installment of Galley Stories, stories of Bering Sea and beyond. I'm your host, Mark Kaler. Uh, today we're down at Pacific Marine Expo doing another recording here. We've got Matt Bradley. A lot of you know him as a, a deckhand on the Northwestern. Uh, we'll let him tell his entire story, though. Uh, so, Matt, thanks for taking the time You're today welcome, to come man. down. And uh, where, where were you born and what got you into commercial fishing? Uh, I was born in uh, North Seattle. And uh, kind of what got me into fishing uh, was working with Sig and Edgar uh, Hansen. Uh, used to get a, a half rack of beer to rig pots. Get a half rack of beer at the end of the at the end of the gear pile, and you might get 50, 100 bucks at the end of the day. So we'd run shots of line and, and rig gear, <clears throat> and then you know this is like 1988, um, maybe a little before that even. And me and Edgar were actually both working in the same restaurant together. He didn't want to be a commercial fisherman like his family, and so we worked together. A few years went by, 89, 90, uh, I took my first fishing job. So I at least had a little knowledge about tying knots and, and, and the pots, but what I didn't know what was in store for me, that's for sure. What was the first fishing job? Uh, the first fishing job I took was on the U.S. Dominator uh, for a paleo crab, uh, 100 bucks a day. <laughs> and I only got paid for the days we fished. So if we did an eight-day trip, ten-day trip, and took two days into town, had to wait three days, four days to unload, I didn't get paid for those days, and I feel like I worked just as hard on the days that we were running back in or sitting on anchor. Those guys had me breaking ice and washing the boat and and uh, cleaning up and, and you know just general boat maintenance. But I didn't get paid for those days. So when we finished that season. Um, Evan, the guy that was running the boat, said I did a good job and that he, 
uh, knew somebody just got injured on another boat that I should go down and talk to that captain. So I went down to uh, talk to John on the Pacific Viking and said, Evans told me to come down here. He said, go get your bag, um, we'll take you. And I went and did one trip of cod. Um, it made like 900 bucks <laughs> and I was hooked, you know. But even at that, I said, you know, I got back home. I took the Pacific Viking back to Seattle and I had decided at that point that I was never gonna fish again. Like I did it, I didn't let my friends down for uh, getting me the job, and I fulfilled both my contracts, I was good. And uh, so somewhere in there, I took another job back in a restaurant, and you know, I got that first paycheck, and it wasn't much money, you know, but I was like, you know what, I think I'll, I'll try this again. And I went and fished for uh, the Jazz Dads, for a couple of years on the Western Viking, and then SIG finally hired me. So, what, what year was that? Well, it had been 90-something, yeah. You mentioned the Pacific Viking, that would be John Plager. Uh, John uh, uh, Jastad. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, John Jastad, he just passed away a couple of years back. I feel like all the, all the old, good old timers are. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, gone now. Certainly feels that way. Uh, so what, what was your first, um, you talked about the money on the first commercial trip, but how, how was your experience at it? Um, my first experience, like everyone, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Like I flew up there with uh, two pairs of jeans, uh, three pairs of long socks, and uh, a couple of flannels. And those guys are like, who packed your bag? I was like, my girlfriend. And they're like, what is she trying to do, kill you? She must not love you. And they took me to Alaska Ship Supply. By the time I was done, they just started piling hoodies and sweatpants and long johns and extra tough boots on the counter. I had like a $2,500 uh, bill right there, you know. I was already into the boat, my airfare plus two and a half grand at ship supply. So, you know, that that first experience of it all is, I'll be honest, it was kind of frightening, man. I, I mean, those guys were, I, I've never treated a, a greenhorn quite as bad as I got it, you know, like those guys threw fish at me, they demeaned me all day, and I just kept taking it, and, and, and that's, you know, I guess that's part of the industry, it never really was going to make me cry or anything, but, you know, it's just part, part of how the, the, the deal was, and, and like once I was done with the season, I, I didn't want to go back, and it was like I, I fulfilled the contract, I'd done what I came up there to do, and I knew fishing wasn't for me. And then somewhere in there, I was like, this cooking in restaurants kind of sucks, you know. Maybe it's not so bad, you know. And, and after a couple of seasons of making some pretty good money, it was, it was really hard to go back, you know. So getting on to the Northwestern then in 1990, yeah. uh, you were on there for a long time. What was some of those early days like? The early days with SIG were quite insane. We didn't sleep. We, man, it was rough. <laughs> the, the industry was so much different than it is today you know we were in derby days and, and we would fly into dutch harbor land grab some provisions and we'd go straight to Akutan, and we wouldn't see dutch harbor again unless we had a major breakdown it'd just be Akutan, st paul back then there was what eight ten floaters so sometimes you might go two months opies you know, fishing opies, you might go two months without putting your feet on land. You'd go out, do a seven-day trip, offload to the floater, 
they'd lower down some eggs and you'd go back out, you know. You got eggs and potatoes and that was it, you know. And those guys were, they were so cheap. <laughs> you had to buy your own candy bars. I mean, you wanted pop, you had to buy it yourself, you know. The later years with SIG, things kind of changed a little bit. Having the camera crews on board, you know. Those guys are, they needed their granola and their fresh blueberries and stuff like that. So, you know, like grocery shopping became like, it was like money was no object. And it's like, all right, now we're, now we're going to live like humans, not robots. With the cooking background, did you get, uh, you get the cooking duties a lot? Yeah, I've always, almost every boat I've ever been on, except for that first year, uh, I've always been the cook. You know, I like food and I'm super good at it. So, you know, like... It's kind of funny with all these camera guys. I mean, Deadliest Catch is almost 20 years older. I mean, they just finished filming up your first five or six episodes. But the, the camera crews are like, I want to go where Matt's at because we at least know we're going to eat good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, since we're on the subject of food, and I've never asked this question on any podcast I've recorded, what's your favorite dish? Um, my favorite meal to make on the boat, tacos. I hate to say it, but they're just so easy and they... They run over, but like we get all our meat from Better Meats here in Seattle. Like a meat order is like eight, ten grand. You know, we're, we live like kings. You know, full prime ribs, eighteen pounds, twenty-two pound turkeys. I'm making Thanksgiving dinner. I'll do like three turkeys in a season. You know, the guys like the leftovers and whatnot. Throw a bird in the oven. Stews are always good just because they hold over. You know, but when I cook, when, we're, when we've had the uh, camera crews there's been like that, that last time with jake i think there was 11 people on the boat on you don't the, on the saga on the saga you don't see everybody that first year i was with jake you had jonathan hillstrand his wife his brother uh neil and uh neil's son so there was four or five hillstrands right there plus the crew and then jake brought our good friend tony avellino up who's actually a neurobrain surgeon so, yeah, and then they throw in the two camera guys. There were 11 people on that boat. Wow. A lot of bodies. <laughs> and one bathroom. Is pe- <laughs> people sleeping on the floor? Um, Saga's got bunks everywhere. Yeah, almost everybody had a bunk. Jake even lost his boat. He had a bunk. He gave his bunk up to Jonathan and his wife. <laughs> he was down in the slums with me and the rest of the guys. Okay, okay. What's been uh, what's been your greatest experience fishing? I think my greatest experience fishing is I hate to say it, but part of this deadliest catch stuff, the notoriety that the TV show has given the industry is amazing, but it's also given me a platform um, to help uh, recovering addicts. I, I I really believe that's probably like the highlight of it all. Like the first five years of deadliest catch kind of cool hey mom look that's what i do you know turn on the tv turn yeah turn on the tv you can get a glimpse of of what i do for a living you know and my kids uh they're all older now you know they got to see uh, a little glimpse into where what dad does so that's been cool but like the the recovery aspect of it i've always been super open about it Um, rather i was clean or struggling or relapsed um, it's always on my social media statuses, you know, whether it's uh, Twitter or Facebook or whatever. But I just celebrated 10 years. I think I got 10 years in a couple of months right now. So 
I think out of all of it, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just a dumb fisherman, but somewhere in it, people see us as blue collar workers and can identify. We're just real humans doing a real job, um, a little more extreme than most, uh, but somewhere in there I get to help some people. So that's 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 been like my highlight of, of the TV show and my fishing stuff. You know, on a previously recorded episode uh, here at Expo, uh, I had Landon Chaney. He spoke a lot about you and, and a lot about his recovery and your uh, the fact that you were his sponsor, or you are yeah. his sponsor. And um, so, since we're on the subject, let's talk about your addiction and sure, your sure. Uh, struggle to recover. You know, um, addiction's rampant in the fishing industry. It's, it's rampant in, in the world right now, especially with all this fentanyl going around. But, uh, you know, like all my early years of fishing, uh, it was a drug addict's dream. I hate to say it like this, but could go up, make a pile of money, come home, blow through it, ah, whatever. There's all there was always another season to fish. You could always go fish halibut, cod, pollock, you know, black cod, hair crab, snails. I mean, there's uh, the the fisheries. You could always make a few bucks, and if you were homeless, which I was pretty much for so many years, I always had a place to live, eat, and sleep, and I was making money. And even if the boat wasn't making money. At least I was sheltered from the dangers of my addiction. And I can honestly say, you know, I might have used a few times in town, but I never used while we were fishing. Like, it's just like, it just seems so forbidden to use narcotics while you're out there fishing, you know, or even a drink. But, but you were an addict. How did, you, how did you recover from those first few days on the boat? How did, was that detoxing, a struggle? Detoxing on the boat was always hell. I had some great guys behind me, you know, I hate to say it, they're super codependent. Uh, you know, like my crew would always be like, oh, Matt's just seasick, you know. I'd be puking my guts out for three days, you know. I had a full-blown heroin habit, you know, like, and sometimes I'd be like, all right, you know, October's coming, time to knock this off. No Suboxone, none of these drug replacement things, not even methadone, I just quit cold turkey enough to to get back to the boat and then you know i get back on the boat I, the second week up there i'm healthy again or a little bit more healthy physically i never uh, fixed that spiritual void until the later years when i started going to 12-step meetings and on the detox and gone to treatment a couple of times and, and there was definitely a spiritual void that was missing in my life you know yeah what about, we're jumping, kind of jumping all over the place, but uh, so many years uh, in the industry, 1990. So you've got, what is it, 40? <laughs> Close to 40, 40 years up there. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a lot. Um, and I'm sure you've experienced a lot of scary times. Do you know the, you know the time that you were most fearful at sea? Um, probably one of the scariest times ever coming in. Um, we were in uh, a pass coming into Accutan, and Sig said, somebody's got to sit up here with me. I said, I'll, I, it was nautical, and it was on the side, and we had a full load of gear on, and uh, I would sit on the port side and tell him when a big one was coming, and then he would navigate, throttle, maybe even tap the jog stick and try to steer us out of it, and we put that boat 
way more than a 45 degree roll. And at one point, Sig was, I don't even know how to describe it, but he's in the wheelhouse chair and I'm in the port side. He's on the starboard and we're, he was looking down at me. And when he said he was sorry, I thought that was it. He was like, I'm sorry. That's all I heard. And I was like, she's coming back. And he says, I don't think so. And like everybody that was on the starboard side got thrown out of their bunks, kitchen cabinets opened. There was a ton of racket. And, you know, everybody came upstairs after that. And we righted, but I mean, it, it's, it scared me pretty good. You know, like I really thought that that was it for us. I think that is, you know, and I've had some scary moments on deck where I've been washed around, got hit, you know, just going to hook the pot up and, uh, get blasted by a wave and get shot all over the deck and think you're in the water because you're like so much water and you're soaked you know and like all of a sudden you're feel like you're swimming and all of a sudden you feel deck boards and you're like oh shit i'm still on deck thank you lord you know hurt bruised wet but i'm still here you know but i think coming in that time was you know it was definitely one of the scariest moments up there and i've seen a million scenarios you know but that particular time it, it always sticks out to me it sure does um how has your family handled 40 years of fishing um back to a little bit about that addiction piece of things you know my mom always felt i was safer in one of the world's most dangerous occupations she'd rather see me in jail or see me on a boat you know she knew where i was and knew i was safe um, a lot of heartache through that addiction years, you know, and there was a lot of them. Um, my kids, um, they've grown up, you know, like uh, I do have some regrets about my time, man. I, I missed a lot of first steps. I missed a lot of school plays, um, missed a lot, you know, but somewhere in there, you know, I've got one daughter that is uh, graduated with her master's. She is now a high school teacher. My other girls are all, I got five daughters. They're all doing pretty good, you know, and, and they've had, uh, I grew up poor white trash, man. <laughs> like my kids had more, they had name brand clothes. They had way more than I ever did, um, you know, and, and they didn't, they didn't have, they didn't have quite the struggles I did. So, you know, like for somewhere in there, I feel like good parenting. But I do miss a lot of, I miss a lot of years, man. You know, like being in the military, same thing. You're deployed, deployed, deployed. You know, it's kind of like fishing. It's, when's dad coming home? Ten days? And then it's 30 Obviously days. Obviously, you didn't, you didn't <laughs> serve in the military, though, right? No. It sounds like no. you went straight on the boat. Straight on the boat. A, lo no. a lot of guys refer to, um, you know, being on a boat with five, six people is a lot like that little unit. Just like a military unit, and the fact it that is. camaraderie. It, it, my whole family's military background, so I've like my one brother. He he took off doing the service, and he made a pretty good career out of it for a number of years. But you know, it, it's not much different. Like the the family life aspects of it, and the camaraderie on the boat. I've also you know, like I stayed with the Northwestern. There was a lot of times where we had crew members. Uh, Sig just embedded it in my head stick and stay make it pay you know we might have a bad season where we didn't make no money or maybe two of the crew members jumped off and went and did brown crab they're chasing paper 
you know, and then that industry fell or this industry fell or that season. I've seen a lot of boat jumpers, you know. You meet a guy in Dutch Harbor and he's like, oh, yeah, what boat are you on? And you, and you tell him the vessel name and he's like, oh, I've been on the Sea Wind and the Seabrook. And 30 boats can't be wrong, bud. You suck at what you do, you know. I, I'm serious about that one just because you fished on it bunch of boats doesn't make you a great crew member you know so. well, you got to be a great crew member I feel like I'm doing pretty good <laughs> I know what I'm doing you know I'll never be that guy that jumps on a boat and says you know well, this is how we do it over here is the way you should do it if you got two three guys you're working with that have been on a boat three or four more years that's the way things are done I just do it I'm not here to change things you know and I've done it I you know I used to I'd fish an OP season on the Northwestern and I'd jump on and go trawl with Nels on the Flying Cloud or jump back on the PV or, you know, go finish a Pollock season up, a Cod season up, trawling. You know, I bounced around a little bit, you know. I didn't always get full share on the Northwestern. It took a lot of years to, I went from 100 bucks a day on that Western Viking to, to half share to the Northwestern for 150 bucks a day. That only lasted one season. And then I got half share for a couple of years, a couple of seasons, you know. So fishing's provided a lot for you, though, sounds like. Yeah. Fishing has definitely provided a pretty good life, you know. At the end of the day, no regrets. And the, and the, it sounds like your biggest takeaway from it, or the biggest gain, is the platform. At the end of the day, yeah. yeah. I think some of, you know, like worth ethic, you know. My wife trips when I'm working around the farm. So, hey, I mean, I know what you, she knows what I do for a living, but she's like, you have split wood, you've ran the tractor, you've done this, are you tired yet? Nope. <laughs> I still got some more to do. It's not dark. Is that, is that busy work though? That keeps your mind off some of that too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Idle hands. Idle hands, the devil's workshop. Leave yep. that. Yep. So Matt, uh, if you were going to give final words to, to wrap this up, what would they be? Stay in school, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, right. Fishing, uh, the next endangered species is definitely the commercial fishermen. Boy, it's like come our, down a lot. Our fishing industry is, it's, it's not what it once was. And at the end of the day, you know, like the canneries and the corporations are going to take this over. I really believe that. There's not enough crab. I've, I've always said we have one of the most sustainable fisheries in the world, and I still believe that it's heavily regulated. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had a closure for the last two years of red king crab, right? They're, they're protecting everybody by doing that, but, you know, I just see the canneries. It's, it used to be a gentleman's fishery, and, you went to the IFQ instead of a 50-50 split, it went to 60-40, and then you got guys that'll do it for even less, and thinking catching more crab means more money, it's a, I don't know, ego. So, yeah, that shit's scary. <laughs> well, Matt, uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. Any, anything else you want to cover? Or? Thank God I got fallback programs. <laughs> you know, one, one more question for you. Um, you know, you're Landon's sponsor. Yeah, yeah. I know that you were Nick's sponsor. How many guys do you sponsor? Uh, right now, I've only got two sponsees. As far as the 12-step program does, um, 
which probably have a couple more. I got one that just, another one that just overdosed and passed away. So, oh, you know, it, it happens, you know. You, uh, can we swear on this thing? You know, like. fuck around and find out. I mean, that's, it, like, uh, recovery for me is, it's 100% life or death, especially with the narcotics that are going around today. You know, and, and the men and the guys that I mentor uh, through 12-step or through even through my social media platforms, being honest and open about my personal addiction, if it helps somebody, man, then that's great. Yeah. You know, like I don't, it's a very insidious disease, you know. So maybe you don't pass away, maybe you just live miserable, you know. And, and the fishing industry is, you know, it's full of it. It is, and it's everywhere. It really is. I hate to put it just on our industry, but, you know, work hard, play harder. And, and it was a mentality of mine for too many years. Too many years. Yeah. All right, Matt. Well, thanks for taking the time well, today, brother. brother. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to Galley Stories. We hope you like what the net brought in. Please leave us a review on iTunes, whether you like it or not. We're not fishing for compliments. Look us up on Facebook and Twitter, too, and reach out to us at galleystories at gmail.com.